So I was driving from San Francisco to New Jersey and had just left Chicago and was mapping out my route on the on the back roads. This was 2005, so before cell phones and stuff, I had an atlas actually spread across the driver's not while I was driving, while I was at a red light. I remember I had the atlas like spread across, like, okay, I'm going to go up here and get on this, you know, blue highway. And I got rear-ended sitting at the red light. Oh my and I had, I was moving and I had a little hatchback. I had the back of the car was full of stuff and rear window shattered. I was just like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Welcome back to Drive With Us Podcast. I'm Bobney and I'm Taryn G, and today's driver is Amy Scott. Some quick car keeping before we meet today's driver. We have both video and audio this season, so if you would like to see our guests as we chat about driving, you can head on over to our Drive With Us podcast YouTube channel or become a patron on Patreon to have access to the full video podcast. And now let's meet today's driver, Amy Scott. Originally from the United States and currently based in Mexico City, Amy Scott has spent the past 16 years traveling the world and living abroad while running multiple businesses. She's passionate about helping entrepreneurs, freelancers, and remote workers harness the power of location independence to create freedom in their life and work. As a founder of Nomadtopia, Amy connects and supports people around the globe who are building their own version of a location-independent lifestyle, aka Nomadtopia. When she's not sharing resources with her community or interviewing her fellow nomads on her podcast, Amy can be found reading books of all genres, tasting local delicacies, and exploring new places or relaxing in the park with her Argentine husband and their Mexico-born twin toddlers. Welcome, Amy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's great to be here. We're so excited to talk to you about your driving experiences, especially since you have traveled so many different places. But before we dive into your crazy driving experiences, let's get to know a little bit about your background of driving. So what are some of the places that you've driven? Where are you currently? I'm from the U.S., um, you know, grew up there, learned how to drive there, got my driver's license there, all the usual stuff. And I actually was pretty nervous about driving in other countries. In fact, even in the U.S., I lived in a couple big cities like, you know, I drove in Philadelphia, drove in Washington, D.C., drove in San Francisco. But I grew up in New Jersey, about an hour from New York City. And I never, to this day, I'm in my 40s, I still haven't driven in New York City. And I would watch my dad, you know, navigating the crazy lanes and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to do that. New York is just, you know, New York is definitely crazy, but I think I've been some crazier places, you know, cities in India, um, in Southeast Asia, Mexico City, Buenos Aires, like totally insane. And I have always been like, like, I'm just not going to do it. And my husband doesn't drive at all. He grew up outside of Buenos Aires and never learned to drive, never needed to, you know, took buses and whatever. We now live in Mexico and we moved to Mexico City a couple of years ago and I would watch the traffic there and I was like, I am never going to drive here. And of course, I should know by now, never say never, because then we're in a pandemic with twin toddlers, actually, who were not toddlers when this all started. And we didn't feel comfortable taking Ubers anymore. And we were like, what are we going to do? And we actually ended up buying a car and I've been driving in Mexico City. And now we moved to another city in Mexico and I'm driving here. So yeah, you just never know <laughs> where life will take you. So what would you say is your relationship with driving? Is it something that you enjoy or is it something that you don't enjoy? Do you like being the driver or would you rather be the passenger? Generally, I love driving. I think I'm more of like a road trip kind of driver. You know, I've taken a couple long trips across the U.S. with other people and by myself. And I like that kind of driving. One of my trips, I intentionally took the back roads driving from the West Coast to the East Coast. And that kind of thing is a lot of fun for me. And I think, as I said, I've been really nervous and not so excited about the prospect of driving in urban environments where it's just like tons of traffic. So I'd say that's less enjoyable to me in general. The only challenge right now, because my husband doesn't drive, like I don't mind, you know, being the one doing the driving, but because we have two little kids and we still don't have childcare because of the pandemic, it's like we all have to go or I have to go. 
you know, I can't just like send him to the store or whatever. So that's probably the only downside, but generally I'm happy to do it. Is your husband just not going to learn to drive at all? Is he okay with not knowing? I think he would really like to know, actually. We've talked about it a little bit. He's talked about taking lessons. He's interested in cars, you know, not like super hardcore, but like he'll see a cool car and be like, oh, you know, someday I'd like to drive one of those. But he definitely didn't want to learn when we were in Mexico City. We're in a bit of a smaller city now, and I think this might be a place he would be open to trying it. I think it would be great. You know, obviously, like we did a really long road trip in the U.S. together. And I, again, I did all the driving. Like it would be nice to be able to share the driving and that kind of experience. And also a couple of years ago, we went to Costa Rica and a lot of people had said, in a lot of places, right? When you travel, they say like, really the best way to get to know the place is to rent your own car and you can go wherever you want. And people had told us that about Costa Rica, but I'd also heard that the roads can be like super steep, unpaved, muddy potholes, like craziness. And I just thought, I don't know if I'm up for that challenge, being the only one in the car who knows anything about what's happening. So we ended up taking the bus and hiring a shuttle and all of those things to get around instead, which was fine. But I can definitely see some situations where it would be nice to feel a little bit more confident. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like road tripping is so much more fun than like having to sit on a bus. But then again, like you don't want to be the only person able to drive. Yeah. Have you ever been in a car or where you've been a passenger and you're like, oh my God, I should not have gotten in this car? <laughs> oh gosh, yes. As a passenger, oh gosh, so many so many things are flashing through my head. Mostly I would say involving like taxi and Uber drivers who either clearly did not know where they were going or I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel comfortable with the way they were driving, especially some places where it can be a lot of stop and go traffic, but you've got someone who's like really weaving in and out and like not my thing and I don't feel comfortable watching someone else do it with me in the car. Nothing really specific comes to mind, but I'd say I've definitely had some experiences with taxi drivers like that. You did say that you have been in India, so I wonder, have you had taxi drivers like that in India? Because that driving I know is crazy. Yeah, it is. I mostly remember... Honestly, in the big cities, there's so much traffic. And I remember this like in Vietnam too, for example, like there's just so much traffic and there's an amazing flow to it somehow that even though there's definitely some of that weaving in and out and stuff, it's like everyone just knows where to go and how things are going to move. And I think I actually felt less uncomfortable about it there. I also had an experience in India where I ended up with another traveler, we hired a car to drive us from the mountains back to the city. And that was one of those things where I'm like, I'm glad someone else is driving because I would have no idea. Like there's a cow in the middle of the road. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> do you go around it? Do you honk? Do you wait? I'm glad someone else is doing the driving. There was always something that happened. I'm like, I'm really glad I'm not the one making the decisions right now. Well, this is a great segue into your crazy driving experiences. What would you say are your top three craziest driving experiences you have had? There's so many. A couple that come to mind. One, as I, when I, I saw this question on your list, and I remembered, unfortunately, I tried to Google it and nothing came up. I can't find the specifics exactly. But when my husband and I were on our road trip on the West Coast of the U.S., we saw a guy walking on the side of the highway, like on Route 1 or something. And I don't remember for sure. Unfortunately, he was like carrying a globe or he was like dressed as a globe or like hauling a globe. I don't remember. There was something, just this crazy thing this guy was doing. And I think we looked it up later and like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Like this guy is walking Route 1. And that was just something we drove past, but it was memorable. That was almost 10 years ago. Two of my other ones that came to mind are related to some of my long road trips in the US, actually. I had one where I was driving solo. This was the one where I ch was choosing all the back roads. I was actually reading a book called Blue Highways that is about the back roads and kind of the magic of the back roads in the US. So I was driving from San Francisco to New Jersey and had just left Chicago and was 
mapping out my route on the on the back roads. This was 2005, so before cell phones and stuff. I had an atlas actually spread across the driver's not while I was driving, while I was at a red light. I remember <laughs> I had the atlas like spread across, like okay, I'm gonna go up here and get on this you know blue highway, and I got rear-ended sitting at the red light. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I had, I was moving and I had a little hatchback. I had the back of the car was full of stuff and rear window shattered. I was just like, <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do now? And actually part of the reason I want to share this is because the best advice I got in that situation, which I still remember now is I, I called my insurance company and they said, talk to the other driver's insurance company. And they totally hooked me up. I didn't even know this was a thing. But she was driving a, um, like a, not a, not an ambulance, but like she was transporting somebody like to the doctor or something, you know, like somebody in a wheelchair. It was like a big kind of van vehicle thing. And she immediately, she was like, oh my God, honey, I'm so sorry. So I talked to her insurance company. They put me up in a hotel the adjuster person or whoever it was, she actually, this may have been like a conflict of interest. She invited me over to her house for dinner. Like she felt so bad. And like, we, what did we do with my stuff? I think we got all my stuff up into the hotel room. I had to go to the hospital to get checked out and just had kind of a, you know, whiplash. And I, my back was kind of messed up, but they couldn't really diagnose anything specific. Anyway, I ended up stuck there and then they got me a rental car and I was on my way to the Kentucky Derby and going to whiskey distilleries with my cousin and all this good stuff. And I was in no shape for it. So I got the rental car. I got like some of those like heating pad things to stick on my back. And I drove straight to New Jersey just to get to my final destination. So that was definitely crazy. Interesting that your insurance gave you that advice. I feel like there's certain insurance companies that would take your money anyways. And the fact that they were super helpful, that's awesome. It was, it was. And I mean, I, like I had no idea who could help me. You know, when I called them, I was like, I'm driving across the country. My car is full of stuff. Like, what am I supposed to do? I, it wasn't even really about like the car itself in that moment. I was just like, like, I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. What do I do now? So yeah, having that kind of advice from them was a huge help because they totally hooked me up and my car actually ended up being totaled. So I left my car in Indiana at some junkyard and drove a rental car the rest of the way. Did it affect your insurance rate or were, was it like because it was covered by the other lady that- Yeah, good were... question. I actually did not get another car after that. So I don't know. It became a non-issue. In fact, I hadn't had a car since then until I bought a car in Mexico about a year ago. Well, that's one way to prevent insurance. Exactly. <laughs> Just leave the country. <laughs> so the last one was, so I was supposed to be a bridesmaid in a wedding. That wedding was on September 15th, 2001, right after September 11th. And needless to say, like, I, was, I think I was supposed to fly on Wednesday, I think Wednesday or Thursday. September 11th was a Tuesday. Everything was shut down. No flights were going. And all of us, my you know friend who was getting married, I was in San Francisco. She was getting married in Cape Cod, like as far away as possible, pretty much in the US. We were just trying to figure out like, what are we going to do? Like, are we one, is the wedding happening? And two, how are we going to get there? Can we get there? And there was actually another bridesmaid who was a really good friend of the bride and her parents also were invited to the wedding and they also lived in the Bay Area. They put us in touch and I remember they called me on Wednesday night and were like, we think we're going to rent a car and drive. And like, we did the math. We have to leave tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, or we're not going to make it. And I said, all right, I'm in. And, you know, they loaded up all our stuff, put our, you know, dresses flat across the back of the van. We got a minivan. It was a very smart setup because the way we planned it was you have someone driving, the person in the passenger seat stays awake with the driver. Then the middle is a person who's going to be on deck next. And then in the back was the person who just finished up front and was like ready to sleep. And we literally did not stop except for gas coffee and pee breaks. We drove straight through. We left Thursday morning and we got there maybe three hours before the wedding. It was such a whirlwind. 
I, I can't imagine like, well, I mean, you guys had a really smart idea then if you were able to just rotate through and like not have the person that's near the driver sleeping because then like, you know, that just messes yeah. everything up. <laughs> but whoever thought of that idea, like that was really good. <laughs> I know it was. And yeah, I share that also because if you ever have to make a nonstop road trip, that was a really good setup. Of course, the more people you have, the better, right? Because then you can do more rotation. Yeah, you're so lucky that you got there just enough time I feel like I would be <laughs> anxious like oh my gosh it's cutting it close <laughs> oh yeah for sure I mean like I said we'd done the math and it was like we really are on a tight timeline plus we were losing three hours right with the time difference so yeah it was crazy but it can be done in almost exactly 48 hours <laughs> wow <laughs> would you do it again if I had to absolutely and now you have a good system in place. Exactly. Yeah. And so you were mentioning that since you've been to so many different places and you're in Mexico City, you've been across the U.S., have you noticed that there are certain type of drivers in different places that you've been? So like, for example, what we've noticed like here in Maryland, drivers, like I don't know if you've driven in Maryland, but like drivers do not follow the rules. They do not use their indicators. <laughs> They love to tailgate. So like, have you noticed any kind of like driving types? Yeah. Oh man, that takes me back. Yeah. I went to college in Washington, DC. So I was, you know, in and out of Maryland, Virginia, like that whole area all the time. I feel like, well, that's not totally true. I was going to say that in some ways I feel like drivers in the US in general, and you're right, it definitely can vary even different uh, regions. I think drivers in the US are a bit more aggressive, but aggressive in like a weird way. Like it's not like people here aren't aggressive. It's just a little different. And it's kind of hard to put your finger on it. It's funny because we're all encased in these metal boxes that are the expression of your, you know, your driving style. So it's kind of funny to think about. I actually remember in Florida, I remember thinking that people were terrible drivers in Florida. Sorry, Floridians. We've heard um, that. <laughs> You've heard that too? And then I remember thinking like, well, maybe it's because there's a lot of older people here. Like maybe they just drive slow or I don't know what it is, but I don't think it was just the older people. I think it was just kind of a, yeah, not great in general. I also feel like there's kind of some etiquette to like different highways and stuff, right? Like I drove 95 a lot. My parents were in New Jersey. I went to college in DC and then I lived in Philly for a while. So like, you know, that 95 stretch, I know very well. And I feel like there's kind of a vibe on 95. But then I lived on the West Coast and like driving up and down like Highway 5 in, in California feels different. So yeah, there's definitely some personality to it. My feeling in Mexico is that there's just not a lot of training, frankly. Like you in Mexico City, last I heard, and I believe this is true, still is that you don't have to take a driving test to get your license. Well, also you might not even have a license, frankly. So like you've got people who are just, they just kind of figure out like, well, you know, you turn the wheel and the car turns and like, you know, what, what else do you need to know? And it feels like a real free for all because of that. So yeah, that's, and, and like I said, also, I felt like very much in Asia, especially just this kind of magical kind of dance and flow to it that, I guess, you know, you just kind of study it for a while and you figure it out and you just roll with it. I actually think I got a lot more comfortable with the prospect of driving in Mexico City after having been a passenger there for a couple of years because I was very observant. Like every time I was in a cab or an Uber, I would be paying attention to what was happening and who was, you know, who's weaving in where and what and how it works. So by the time I actually got behind the wheel, I kind of felt like I knew what to expect which is pretty much anything. <laughs> I just, I can't get over the fact, like, you don't have to take a test. I know. <laughs> what? I know. I, I was going to get my license in Mexico City, but then we we're in the middle of the pandemic and like a bunch of offices were closed and it was complicated. And anyway, I ended up getting it here um, in the city we live in now, which I can happy to tell you about. I did have to take a test where I am now. Um, but yeah, last year I was researching online, like, what do I need to do? And it was fill out this form online, make an appointment. Like there was nothing about a test. Wow. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that's true many other places in the world, but it explains a lot, I think. 
We actually had a guest come on not too long ago who was talking about, I think, Nicaragua. And how it was kind of like a lottery system where there was like 14 people there. And then whoever got picked and depended on them, if they passed, everyone passed. If they failed, everyone failed. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like, what are these systems? <laughs> wow. Very interesting. I just feel, it just feels weird that, that driver's tests aren't as, I guess, strict in every place it's like some places it's just so easy to just get behind the wheel so which place other places that you've either been on the road or driven in which do you feel the most comfortable in the car in and which did you feel the least comfortable i feel like my gut reaction is to say i feel the most comfortable in the car in the u.s because i know the rules and i like i know how it works and i think also one thing i've been aware of here is that I, I realized that I come into a driving situation thinking that I know how other people are thinking. And I'm realizing like more and more every time I drive in Mexico, that is not true. Like, whoa, what that guy just did, he clearly is not thinking what I'm thinking. And I, again, every person is obviously an individual, but I feel like generally in the US, I have an idea of what other drivers are thinking, what they're going to do next. Where do I feel the least comfortable? Gosh. I mean, I feel like it's more situational than country specific. You know what I mean? Like I think of situations, for example, in Argentina, I lived there for a while. My husband is from there and in many places, the airport is a ways out of the city. So it's like, you know, full on like high speed driving on the highway to get to and from the city, from the airport. There have been a lot of times that I've been like, this guy is just going like way too fast. But that's not necessarily about Argentina, you know, or, or Buenos Aires. It's more, I think, I feel less comfortable when someone's go driving really fast. And there's just that sense of like, how alert is he? And like, how ready is he to react to something that might appear? So yeah, I think just generally high speed probably makes me the most nervous. Yeah, that makes sense. It, that it's more driver specific as opposed to country. Yeah. Let's dive into you as a driver. We heard your crazy driving stories. Let's dive into what kind of driver you are. So how would you describe the type of driver you are and would your family and friends agree? <laughs> this is a funny one. I was actually talking to my husband um, about the fact that I was doing this interview <laughs> and he definitely had some thoughts about it. Well, first of all, I think I've actually changed a lot as a driver over the years. I've been driving now almost 30 years. So needless to say, I've been through a lot of experiences since then and, you know, matured, but also just, I think actually, especially my international experience and even just in the last year or so, I feel like it's mellowed me out a lot. I was, I think I was pretty aggro is the word that comes to mind to like describe myself as like a young driver. And my husband said that I've mellowed out because actually last year, so it's been almost exactly a year, I think, since we got the car and, um, and we moved in January. So we were in Mexico city for six, seven months driving. And the first few times were so stressful and I'm using ways to navigate. And it was like, I'm like, I, are these telling me to turn here or up there? Like 10 feet, 50 feet. Like it was super confusing this lane or that lane. And I was like vocalizing all of it. I do that a lot. And, and my husband actually said like, this is super stressful. Like, I don't want to drive with you. <laughs> I'm like, but we just bought a car. Like we need to drive. And he was basically like, you really need to chill out or like, this isn't going to be fun for anybody. And so I started one, just not vocalizing every little thing. Like, well, I don't know what to do. Or like, what did that guy just do? That was crazy. And, and just, rolling with it a bit more, which I found was actually easier to do when I stopped talking about it. I might have a moment in my head of like, what, what was that? <laughs> but I'm just carry on. Don't let my husband know what, what that was a freak out right there. So yeah, much less yelling at other drivers, much less like complaining about navigation, <laughs> confusion and what have you, and just, and just kind of rolling with it. I think the other thing is I noticed that I've always been, I would say fairly defensive driver and kind of not cautious, but aware and not doing anything too crazy. And that definitely has been amplified a bit 
driving with kids in the car too. So that's probably something else that's mellowed me out a little bit. Yeah, I bet having kids in the car definitely will change your perspective on driving. But but I'm glad to hear that you've mellowed out. Would you say that you are a person that tends to honk in situations? Yeah, you know, that is something that also varies a lot. Like horn etiquette, honking etiquette definitely is different in different places. And I would say yes, in the past, especially in the US, like if someone was like in my way, being stupid, I don't know what, definitely would lay on the horn. Now, not so much. And especially because in Mexico, I see people honking when there's no good reason for it. Like in Mexico City, you'll be sitting in traffic and there's pretty much nowhere to go. And like one person maybe is trying to switch lanes or something. And like people start honking. I'm like, for what? Like, what do you what do you want anyone to do about it? And the city we're in now, actually, especially because of the pandemic, traffic's been pretty mellow. So no, I don't find myself in a lot of situations where I need to honk. And I don't really totally know the vibe here yet. So I'm kind of like, if I had to, like if someone was literally like blocking my path or something, I might just kind of go like, beep, you know, just a tiny little, just so you know, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. <laughs> what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? Oh, yeah. I think it's people who drive with their blinker on, like when they're not turning. <laughs> Straight yeah. on the highway with their blinker on. <laughs> Do you see that a lot down there in Mexico? Well, the funny thing is, I'm, you know, I'm still figuring this out, but there's actually people use their blinkers kind of differently here. And so sometimes I'm not sure if I'm just still learning what they mean by having their blinker on or if they're actually just, you know, they dropped the ball and didn't turn it off. One thing is if you're if you're on the highway and you're in the left passing lane and someone comes speeding up behind you, which is frequent, people here on the highway drive really fast, they'll put their blinker on, which means, hey, you, pull over, like move out of my way. At least that's how I interpret it because they'll come right up and get close to you. And I'm passing somebody, but I'm not going as fast as they are. And they clearly are like, you need to get over it. And so then... I, what I think people do, and I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm kind of interpreting this as I go, is like, then I put my blinker on, like, I see you, and I am going to move over, but obviously I can't right this second because I'm passing a big truck or whatever. And then the other weird thing that people do here that I've seen as a passenger, I haven't yet experienced it as a driver, is that, say you're on a two-lane, like a more rural road with two lanes, one in each direction, if someone needs to turn left, instead of slowing down and actually blocking, you know, the main lane of traffic, they'll put their left blinker on, but then they'll pull onto the right shoulder and then they wait until it's clear and then they'll turn left across both lanes. The first time I saw it, I was, I was like, that was another where I'm like, oh my God, I'm never driving here. Like what's happening? <laughs> That's why I think just, you know, taking time to be observant and just figure out like, how are people doing things here? You know, because it's not necessarily what, what we're used to. It's like its own different language in like different places. What is this complex like left indicator means I'm turning right. Totally. I know. And I've also heard that we've had someone say that in some places they use, they will flash their lights to be like, hey, move over. And yes. not use their indicators. Or like, I've gotten that too. I feel like here in the U.S. is definitely more about the horn. Nobody uses yeah. anything else. It's just like, hear me, I'm here. <laughs> totally. So would you say that, so I know you said you've mellowed out and you're not as aggressive, but would you say that you've ever experienced road rage? Whether it was you yourself who's experienced it or you've had someone have road rage towards you. Yeah, there have definitely been a handful of times I've had, luckily I've never had the kind of thing where I felt like someone was pursuing me. You know, I've heard of people being like, they're mad that you cut them off. And so they like start following you or whatever. I've never had that kind of thing, but definitely like a, you're slow to move over. And then someone drives past, like, you know, giving you the finger and shouting at you or something like I've definitely had that happen numerous times. And I actually, I don't remember exactly what was happening at the time, but this a long time ago when I was in college, one of my classes, we were going on a field trip. I think we were going to museum, but we 
were carpooling and I didn't have a car then, but my boyfriend did. So I drove his car a lot. And so I was driving his car to go to this place that my class was going and my professor decided to drive with me. It was my professor, one of my really good friends. So this is in Washington, D.C., so we're city driving and someone cut me off or did something stupid or I don't know what. And I like went off like, ah, and forgot who was in the car. And then my professor was looking over at me like, what was that about, Amy? And my friend was like, oh, yeah, Amy's just a little... She's a little aggro behind the wheel. And I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like I have a reputation now. Well, that's one way for your professor to truly know how you right? are. Just get in a stressful situation in a car. Totally. I wonder what they were thinking. It's like, why did I come with you? Right. I know. I could have driven with so-and-so. So now that we've heard about your past driving experiences, let's dive a little bit before that of when you first got your driver's license or when you first started driving, how would you describe the very first driving experience? I know you have like two firsts because you have the first in US and then your first in Mexico. So how would you describe those experiences? Oh, I feels like a really long time ago that I started learning how to drive in the States. Well, it was a long time ago. I just remember being so, I mean, like most of us, right? Like I was just so excited to finally learn how to drive. And I don't feel like I was particularly nervous or stressed out or anything when I was driving, like doing driver's ed and behind the wheel and all of that. I felt pretty good about that. I remember that things got more stressful. I think I probably already had my license at that point, but my senior year, yeah, it was my senior year of high school and my parents had gotten a new car and told me that they were like, well, we have this old car now. You can drive this to school, but it's a stick shift. And so you're going to have to learn how to drive stick. And that was total trial by fire. Oh my God. I remember to this day, my brother, he's about three and a half years younger than I am. And so he's like a bratty middle school kid and he's sitting in the back seat. My mom is in the front with me and I'm driving through our neighborhood trying to learn how to shift and the car keeps stalling. It's like bucking like crazy. And my brother goes, this is better than a roller coaster. <laughs> and I was like, shut up. <laughs> and it was, oh my gosh, it was so stressful. I remember like trying to go in a parking lot and just the whole balance of, of the clutch and everything. And oh my gosh, I, yeah, that was super stressful, but I actually prefer driving stick these days. And I would have actually got, probably would have chosen that in Mexico, but someone right before, well, right when we were starting to look for a car, I remember I was in an Uber with a guy and I said, commented on the car he had. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, you know, what do you think of this car? And he's like, you know, the thing is you got to get an automatic because the, t the stop and go traffic is such a nightmare. And like, you just don't want to have one more thing to deal with. I was like, oh, I never thought about that. He's right. Anyway. So yeah, all that to say my Early experiences driving were pretty good, except for trying to learn how to shift. <laughs> or were you glad that you were forced to learn how to drive a stick? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's such a useful skill to have because there's so many places that you go that it's not available. And I also, I remember like little things like my brother, I remember him saying like in, like, for example, in college, you know, you have a situation where like a friend needs you to drive their car home or something. And what if their car is a stick and you don't know how to drive it, right? Like there's, I think it's just a useful life skill to be able to hop into any car and drive it if you need to. So how would you describe the actual driving test experience? And what were the differences in your driving test in the U.S. versus Mexico? Oh, I don't remember the U.S. test very well, except that I was super nervous. I remember being really nervous about like the three-point turn, <laughs> even though it's like, that's pretty straightforward. I don't know why I was worried about that. My test in Mexico, obviously I remember much better because it was like three months ago. <laughs> well, first of all, there is no, I had to take a written test and a practical test. There's no material to study at all. And so even though in the state where I am now, you know, they require a test, I didn't have anything to study on. So I was kind of making it up as I go. 
but I had someone, I speak pretty good Spanish, but I had some hired someone to walk me through the process. And so she went with me to kind of say, okay, now you go over here and you do this and you give them this paper. And so she had told me a little bit about what the test was going to be like. And it was like both very short and very difficult because <laughs> I actually don't remember. I think it was not this way in the U.S., but if you remember and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think in the U.S., the parallel parking was on the right side, right? Like you would be parking yeah. on the right side of the street, like the way you drive. Well, in Mexico, it was on the left side. So I had a parallel park on the left between two two of those big construction cones, like kind of barrel things, right? The big orange things. And and the person I who was helping me said, if you touch anything, like with the car, that's it, you fail. And I was like, oh my God, I was so nervous. And they also say you have to do it. I think this is the same as the US. You have to do it in, what was it? Four moves or less. So I... Oh, also, I did not practice at all, which was probably not a good idea. I would think I was like, you know, I've been driving for 30 years. Like, what else, you know, what can I do? And I didn't really think about actually like going to practice parallel parking, which I haven't done a lot of recently. So that probably added to it. But it was super stressful. And they, I actually, I got in and I think it was more than four moves. And then the woman says, the like the driving, you know, the test person says, can you try again? And can you get closer? Because I was probably like, I don't know, at least a foot from the edge of the street, which was actually a rope. And so I tried it again and it was total crap. Like I probably took at least six moves and I was maybe like an inch closer than the previous time. I was like, oh my God. And she was like, okay, you can go park. I was like, I don't even know if I passed. Like, I'm really not sure. And so I was amazed when I came back and they told me I passed. Um, and then right after that, the person behind me failed immediately because they saw that he didn't have his seatbelt on. And he was like, what? Well, I mean, that should be the first thing that you put on. It should. It absolutely should. <laughs> yeah. So if you can't even put that on, should you be driving? <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that was the DMV equivalence. I'm sure that was their argument. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think here they're starting to, I don't think many states require you to do parallel parking anymore. I know in Maryland, we had to do it when we took the test, but they removed it before our brother went to go take the test. Really? So like super easy now for people to pass their tests, which is scary. That is. And I mean, honestly, I feel like parallel parking is also one of those like life skills because sure, maybe where you live, everything's a parking lot and you don't need it. But at some point you're going to go to a city and there's going to be a line of cars behind you and you've got to get into this tight spot as fast as you can. Yeah. You're not going to be able to, I mean, you could just keep driving in circles until you find a spot that's True. not parking, but do you want to waste that time? Right. <laughs> So now we heard about your past driving experience, your current driving experience, let's dive a little bit into the future of driving with the possibility of self-driving cars becoming a thing, probably not like tomorrow, but like in the future. What are your thoughts on self-driving cars and would you get in one? I, I think I've mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, I think it sounds fabulous. One, you know, just to be able to do something else <laughs> while you're in the car. And not have to be totally 100% focused on the road. That sounds lovely. And also I've heard that there's a lot of things that they can actually do to kind of synchronize cars on the road and stuff. So it's actually more efficient, right? Like cars can drive closer to each other and, and fewer accidents. And like all of that sounds great in theory. But I think I'm still at that point of like, but I mean, machines can make mistakes. Well, obviously humans can make mistakes also, right? And maybe humans are worse at it than machines. But yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of room for problems. In fact, there's a show, there's a show we were watching recently where somebody died because they sabotaged his self-driving car. And so like it didn't, you know, stop when it was supposed to stop or whatever. Actually, two people died in that show because their self-driving cars were sabotaged. But regular cars can be sabotaged too, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I I kind of feel the same way. I want to see how reliable they are before I would get in one. Yeah. That and I love driving. So I don't know if I would want to give that up. 
Totally. I feel like some situations, I'd like to be able to turn it on and off, right? Like sometimes I would like to be able to drive myself and sometimes it might be nice to have the car drive. But yeah, I feel like for me, it's not just like seeing the data on some tests they did of driving, you know, cars in the desert or like one self-driving car among all the other cars. Like I want to see what it's like when there's like hundreds, thousands of self-driving cars on the road. Like how's it going then? Actually, that will be an interesting time when it's a mix of regular cars and self-driving. It'll be interesting. Like we'll be able to tell the difference. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I wonder if they would allow self-driving like if there's a good number of those self-driving cars to be on the same road i guess as ones where humans are driving or would they create separate paths yeah right like maybe you'd make like an hov lane kind of thing for the self-driving cars (laughs) now like obviously most of the cars on the road are not self-driving and so like if you see someone like down like this on their phone or reading a book or something like obviously they're not paying attention to their car but when you've got a mix, then how do you know if someone's actually paying attention as they need to be or not? Yeah, we will see. I feel like it'd be more like, oh my God, that person's totally driving because they're going crazy. Right. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Bonus question time. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Ooh, interesting. I kind of feel like I've thought about this before, but I can't remember what my what my thinking was. This sounds kind of silly, but in line with what we were just talking about with, you know, people being distracted and being able to do other things in the car. And like, it's amazing to me that there are rules about like not using your cell phone, but no rules about like putting on your makeup or eating with both hands or like all these other things. Or also there's like these TV screens, like you could be having something like within your eyes line of line of sight um, while you're driving that's playing a TV show or something like that blows my mind too. And I feel like there's a lot of other distraction things that people never really worried about too much. But I, I know you both have long commutes, that makeup thing, especially, right? Like you see so many people in like stop and go like in the, yeah. in the, <laughs> rearview mirror putting on their mascara or whatever and it's like i mean yes we're not going that fast but still (laughs) it's worse when they're behind you because then you can't control them that much you have to like watch out for in front of you because you have to watch out for the cars around you but then you're also like don't hit me from behind totally that's such a good point yeah oh this is totally going back to something we talked about earlier, but I want to mention this because this is like a driving etiquette in Mexico that I think is actually super interesting. One of the things that I've always, I've always hated stop and go traffic when people like people speed up and then suddenly people are almost at a dead stop. Like I find that very stressful and I'm always worried that I'm going to get rear-ended even before I ever got rear-ended myself. And in Mexico, if there is a slowdown, people put their hazards on and it's like a heads up, like, whoa, we're slowed down up here. And so, and it started kind of starts a chain reaction, right? That like, oh, I see hazards and then people put their hazards on. And I, I love it. I think it's the best thing ever. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put my hazards on. We're slowing down. (laughs) So yeah, that's one thing I've seen here that was new to me that I I think was a really good idea. I, I agree. I think that's an amazing idea. There's like, there's been so many times when I've been driving that I'm like, oh my God, dead stop. And I've looked at the hazards and I've like, should I turn it on so that the people behind me know that I'm like dead stop, not slowing down, stopping. Exactly. Oh my God, that's amazing. Can we bring that up here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's start it. (laughs) Yeah, it's like when we hear all these different driving rules in different countries, I'm just like, what? We should do that here. Like it works there. But then again, I guess if they grew up with it, they're used to it. I don't know if we implemented some of those laws here, how well it would work because people are just not used to it, but they are good rules. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder like how many things are actually a rule or a law and how many things are just like common practice. So if you had to give any advice to either new drivers or just drivers in general, what advice would you give them? I think two things are coming to mind. One is learn to drive stick (laughs) for all the reasons I said before. Like, I think it's just a good skill to have. And I think it, you know, just kind of expands your 
understanding of driving and how cars work and not that I am knowledgeable about cars really at all but like even just those little mechanical things of like oh you know you have to push the clutch in to get this gear to move I like that sense of kind of awareness and control that when in in an automatic you're like why isn't the car like picking up and then the other is I think back to my early days and like I said being kind of aggro and I, I picture myself being I don't know just like gripping the wheel like what is wrong with you people and I think just go with the flow just because it's less stressful for you but then also like what I've seen in a lot of other countries is like there is just kind of a, a flow and a rhythm and a dance to it all and to just go with that instead of feeling super rigid about it all of course it helps if other people are also thinking the same thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> since we did drop out for a little bit we were just talking about your advice that you had for other drivers and I love the advice of learning to drive stick because it is a useful skill and we haven't learned to drive yet but we that's like one of our goals and I feel like as you mentioned earlier it's a great way to travel because no matter where you go you can you won't be restricted you can you can drive yep totally we really enjoy listening to all your stories on the show today but before we let you go where can listeners find you I have a podcast called Nomadtopia Radio, and it is inter- mostly interviews with people who are living abroad, traveling full-time, basically people who are either early retired or able to work from anywhere, and so they've become nomadic. And you can find more information about that at nomadtopia.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was really interesting being able to hear about different countries and especially Mexico because we haven't heard much about there yet so that was really interesting and I'm going to try we're going to try and bring that hazard light etiquette up here because (laughs) that seems awesome (laughs) yeah it's fun to talk about this stuff you know you don't sometimes realize even how many different experiences you've had and it's fun to talk about so thank you it was so interesting to hear how she has changed and grown as a driver like the more experience she got the more calmer she got because it sounded like she used to be a little more of aggro as she stressed says. yeah a stressed driver who would just have different things affect her more quickly as they do now now she's gotten to the point where she's able to manage it and control it that definitely has to do with her international driving experience seeing how crazy other drivers can be it probably would mellow you out very quickly i feel like this is another one of those driving even though she we were talking about driving and how it's better to not be as stressed out and hold grudges i feel like it's another thing to apply to just life in general in order to have a more happier quote-unquote life like to have a more calmer peaceful life it's just better to let things go and not hold those grudges if you're able to let it go you won't like hold it in your heart or like as a burden over yourself because it's not just hanging there you know what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. wow we're now a philosophical podcast uh, psychological well, yeah. i feel I like know. driving psychology i don't know <laughs> I feel like driving is a good analogy for life philosophy, Mm -hmm. so it works hand in hand. But who do you think is the more stressed out driver between us? Uh, I haven't haven't seen you in your normal commuting environment. (laughs) How stressed do you get? I think. I feel like I may be more stressed. Yes. I (laughs) I know that's where you're going. I feel like you are because even just in general, you worry more than I do about things. So I feel like I do. it'll probably translate into your driving too. I could see that. I mean, I think the reason that you're not stressed is you tend to zone out. <laughs> I think that, so you're like, I'm good. I'm good. The only I stress thing, out. The only thing that can cause my heart rate to go up yes, is... Yes, don't say dreaded D word. Yeah, if I hear the word deer, if I see a deer, if I see movement and think it might be a deer but it's just a tree blowing on the side of the road she will be the deer in headlights yes that's the one thing that will stress me out i feel like the rest not as much as i think it would affect you yeah the one thing i really really liked about what amy was talking about that happens in mexico that i want to bring here and we all need to do it so if we just start doing it i'm pretty sure it'll catch on or I hope it will, <laughs> and everyone will start doing it, is the whole hazard light situation when 
you're on a highway and all of a sudden everyone just stopped and you're like, wait, what? If you ha if you see hazard lights, you're more likely to slow down. Whereas if you just see brake lights, I'm pretty sure some people will be like, oh, they're just slowing down. They're not stopped, whatever. And they'll come full speed and they won't slow down. But if they saw all five lanes of cars had their emergency lights on, I'm pretty sure everyone would slow down further back. We need to start that, that or they'll do the thing where they see emergency lights and they just have to see what's going on so everyone just slows down anyways. Exactly. So then people will slow down at a safer distance. We need to bring that here. Like, that is ingenious. That's a great way to communicate. Be like, hey, we're not just slowing down. We're stopped. So watch out. That's the thing I've noticed. I've only seen it happen like once or twice is when it was a bad storm in the winter time it got so white like you can't see anything because it's just snowing so hard and it's, you can't even see the car in front of you but you can faintly see flashing lights then you know there's another car there or when we went through that snow squall Ugh, i couldn't even see anything exactly but i could faintly every once in a while see the flashing emergency lights to be like okay there's a car somewhere <laughs> up in there. this vicinity yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoy listening to Amy's driving stories. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek of next week's driver, Dr. Jeff Williamson. Who shared about the time that he had to squeeze an RV, well, more like his family, had to squeeze an RV through a tight tunnel and the time they had to build a log bridge to cross water in Peru. Thank you for tuning in this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends, subscribing, or leaving us a review. It truly does help us get discovered. And thank you for choosing to drive with us again this week. And we'll see you next week. I think I was about 10 where we had decided to go see the mountains, the Black Hills of South Dakota. And we were in a, we were in a camper that was it was it was like a renoed school bus camper that my dad tricked out it was really cool and we got up to a point and there were four or five other rvs pulled off and looking confused and we're like what's going on here and so my dad pulls over and we we go walking up and we're looking at it and it's like the only way th forward from there was through this cut tunnel straight through the stone in the side of the mountain and these other rvs that were also pretty good size they were they were sitting there afraid that they didn't have room to make it through and my dad's like well i, I think i think i can get through there